Come on, church, let's give Jesus a big shout of praise. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Lord, we thank you. You truly are our great God, our refuge, and our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. That's great. It really is. Great is our God, and greatly to be praised. The Lord, our shepherd, a strong tower that the righteous run into. That is great. Great is our God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's great. You're our healer. You're our deliverer. You're our Savior, you're our comforter, you are our strength, our help in times of need. Oh, you truly are great. You truly are wonderful beyond comprehension, beyond our ability to express. Thank you, Lord for your goodness to us. And Lord, I thank you today for allowing me to be in the company of your people who were bought by your own blood, purchased, purchased and redeemed. Your prized possession. Lord, I thank you for every person here today in this place as we have raised our voice together, irrespective of what is happening in our lives, irrespective of what the circumstances are around us, we decided this morning to get up and come here to honor you, to praise you, to give thanks to you, irrespective of what is out there before us. We have made a decision today to give you praise. And Holy Spirit, I pray, you know every needy heart. You know every need of our lives. You know the pains that stricken our body. You know the ailments that afflict our mind. You know how our, our emotions are like an open ocean subject to all kinds of storms and variances. And yet, Lord, we are here today, irrespective of what is happening in our lives because we want to come together as your people and praise your name and say thank you at the start of another week. We love you, Jesus, and we love one another too. We look around this room. We're all soldiers. We've all got the scars to prove it. We've been in the trenches We've been out in that open field of war, but Lord, we come together today in this barracks to renew our strength, to encourage one another, and to refresh ourselves in you. And we thank you for your presence. 
right now. We thank you. Lord, I thank you for your presence, the presence of your Holy Spirit right now in this place to comfort, to strengthen, to make whole, to make strong in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come on, why don't you give Jesus? Listen, this is what we do. Let's give him another shout of praise. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. And you may be seated. Why don't you greet somebody just before you sit down, say hello, maybe to somebody that you've maybe not seen before in church or somebody returning back. Greet them this morning. What a joy it is to be in God's house together. Hallelujah. We need one another in the days in which we're living, and it's a joy. It really is to come together as God's company of people. Well, a group from the church went while well, set out to go to Israel, early hours of this morning, Faye is among that group. So I'm telling you, for the next eight days, I am going to need prayer. The children are going to need prayer because Dad's doing the cooking. Do you know what, right? I said to the kids, I said, uh, when your mum's away, I'm going to make a roast. Do you know what? Do you know the kids' reactions? It was mixed reactions. They burst out laughing. Then they started to abuse me because they do not believe that dad can make a roast. I don't even know if dad believes he can make a roast. But I, I wanted to impress, but it didn't. I, t I tell you what, it, it went down like a lead balloon. But uh, I'll be all right. Listen, I'd, I'll fast for eight days. You don't... You don't need to make meals for us. It's all right, unless you want to. <laughs> no, we're going to be fine. McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken is just down the road. I mean, eight days of fast food is, it's, it's, you know, once in a while is fine, isn't it? We'll be okay. Don't worry about us. Just pray. Pray a lot. No, we're going to be all right. We're going to be, I think, I hope. I believe it's going to be great. But listen, pray for the guys who have gone to Israel, that they just have a great time. They were so excited to go. And uh, they're going to have a really, really blessed time just out in that land. It's incredible. But just, you know what? Just being together, being with one another and um, just, just seeing everything that's out there, it's going to be such a great trip for them. So please keep them in your prayers. We pray that God would keep them safe and on their return, they would be a blessing to us. Amen. Keep them in your prayers. God bless you. Well, a few weeks ago, if you remember, we started a series of messages that we're calling Making Your Life Count. We all want to make our lives count, don't we? We really do. We certainly do for Christ. We want to make our lives count for Him. And we began by looking at Romans chapter 16. And here in this chapter, 
the Apostle Paul gives us an incredible list of names. Names of people who made their lives count for Jesus and for his church. Romans chapter 16 is the last chapter in this amazing letter that Paul wrote. Through 15 chapters of this great letter, Paul is recounting and recalling the great doctrines of the Bible. And yet in this final chapter, Romans chapter 16, Paul is sending out very personal greetings and commendations to dear friends that he loved. He's praising lives that had weathered all kinds of storms. Yet in the midst of many threats, in the midst of life's dangers surrounding them, these men and women that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 16 shone as lights in their world, never giving up. They had decided to live their lives for Christ and for his church in the world in which they lived. That's what's on view in Romans chapter 16. People with a deep devotion for Jesus resulting in rich relationships and growing church. Deep devotion for Christ Jesus, rich relationships, fellowship in the church, impacting the world. What a wonderful chapter it is. This 16th chapter of Romans is all about people. Paul mentions over 30 names of sisters and brothers who he dearly loved. Romans 16 shows us that Paul was a man that loved people, valued people. He was a great friend maker, a great soul winner. People were always at the heart of who Paul was everywhere he went. You read his letters, you read through the book of Acts, everywhere he went, he was always trying to forge new relationships, investing into the friendships that he had. This man knew the great value in everyone that was around him. And you know, as we see that, and as we observe that about Paul's life, let's always Give thanks to God for the people that we have in our lives because they're not there by chance. They're there, be, they're there because of divine order. They're there because of God's sovereign plan and purpose in all of our lives, whether they be your family, whether they be your friends, whether they be your brothers and sisters that you fellowship with, whether they be your colleagues in work, they are there as a result of God's order, of God's placement, of God's provision for your life. Paul knew this. Paul understood this. And this is what this great chapter in Romans chapter 16 is all about.
people who had exemplary lives. It's a chapter full of servants serving others with their lives as they want to fulfill God's purpose and plan for them. If you remember back a few weeks ago, we started out by looking at Paul's commendation to Phoebe. She was a remarkable lady. And Paul honors her by saying this, she's a sister in the Lord, a servant in the church, a helper of many and of Paul. And it was this lady that's at the top of Paul's list. That should encourage you ladies. It was a woman that was at the top of Paul's list of honor in Romans chapter 16. Not a man, but a woman. Be encouraged. Paul wasn't some kind of crazy misogynist that had women under his foot. No, Jesus, along with Paul, released the wonderful giftings and the wonderful potentials of everyone, women included, equal priority and plan in the purpose of God and in the building of the church. I tell you, I said this when we began and when we started out, you take women out of this church, we would have a serious problem on our hands. This church, I'm telling you now, is not run by men. Thank God for that. Men have a role. They have a part to play in, in the building of this church and its future. But equally, and I, I stress equally, every woman in this place has an equal role. It may be different, but a vital equal role in the building, in the running and in the health and well-being of this church, the King's Church. And I would go as far to say as, as most pastors would say, as any other church. You take women out of the picture, we've got a serious problem. We really have. Paul knew. Paul knew and understood the vital gift of this woman, Phoebe, to the church, and he honors her as he places her at the top of his list in this great chapter. It was Phoebe, this wonderful lady, that carried the book of Romans 700 miles from Corinth all the way to Rome. What a remarkable lady she was. What an incredible role she had to carry this very letter to be trusted as credible, to carry this great letter that's caused countless revivals to the church and to the leaders at Rome. Then we went on and we looked at a husband and wife team called Aquila and Priscilla. This couple were just tent makers, humble tent makers in the market of life. They were thrown out, expelled from their home in Rome. And then, not by chance, but in the purpose and the plan of God, they meet Paul in Corinth. And after that meeting, they become fellow workers alongside the great apostle Paul. And Paul recalled how this very couple risked their own lives for Paul himself, he actually says, if you read Romans chapter 16, they put their necks on the line for me. 
these simple tent makers, this simple husband and wife team didn't have a title. They didn't have a position. They just wanted to serve Jesus and serve others with their lives, and so they did. They put everything on the line for Christ, everything on the line for His church. Priscilla and Aquila used three of their homes to pioneer three of the greatest churches in the New Testament, the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, and the church in Rome. All of these churches, listen to this, listen to how you can use your home to impact the world, to impact Newport, to impact the, the community or the town or the village that you're in. God can even use your home. This couple used three of the homes in which they lived to pioneer and begin three of the most significant churches in the New Testament. The church at Corinth, Ephesus, and Rome all had their beginnings in their home. This was a dynamic duo who sold out their lives for the kingdom of God. They just wanted to give all they were, everything they had, to the furtherance of the gospel. They wanted to make their lives count for Christ. And it's so good to look at godly examples like this. People who have gone on before us to set such an exemplary example in their service for God. Phoebe. Aquila and Priscilla all had one heart and one motivation, and that was to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as you look at their lives, you see that everything else, all of the other eventualities about life, followed them and just worked themselves out as they made God's work their priority. I want to be in that company. I don't know about you. I think you do because you're here this morning. I want to be in that company of people irrespective of the task. Some of us have great tasks in the kingdom that God has commissioned us to do and we are, obe we are being obedient to those commissions. Others of us might have a small task, but if it's done faithfully, if it's stewarded well, there is great fulfillment and we walk under the pleasure and the favor of heaven as we do that. Now today we're going to start out by reading in the middle of verse 5 of Romans chapter 16 as we go on. And we're going to read through to verse 6 where Paul commends another two people. A man called Epinatius and a lady called Mary. Let me read it to you, Romans chapter 16, verse 5 through to verse 6. Paul says this, Greet Epinatius, my beloved, who is the first convert, convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Epinatius, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Another two names of people, close 
to Paul's heart. Epinacius was a brother that Paul loved very much and his first convert in Asia. And this is the only time in the New Testament where Epinacius is mentioned. We have very limited information about Epinacius, but Epinacius meant a lot to the Apostle Paul. And Paul exhorts the church at Rome to go up to Epinacius and to greet him on Paul's behalf. Just imagine for a moment how affirmed Epinacius would be when he received this greeting from brothers and sisters all about him as this letter was read out in this great church in Rome. Paul singled him out in this letter, and he directs others to reach out to Epinacius and greet him and encourage him. You see, Paul knew, he knew the power and the strength that encouragement brings, the importance of it to strengthen and to build up. Maybe over this week, why don't you call that friend that you haven't seen for some time in church? Why don't you and I make a note of somebody that is out there and we don't know where they are at the moment. We may have lost contact over, over the while with them. Why don't we make a concerted effort as a family of people to reach out to those who we haven't seen for a while and encourage them? Send out that greeting. Send out that lifeline. This is what Paul was doing when he was exhorting believers in Rome to go up to Epinacius and greet him, encourage him, build him up. And it's with tender affection that Paul remembers Epinacius because he calls him my beloved. And that's not just a passing remark or a quick comment. Epinacius was dear and well-loved to the Apostle Paul. And from this loving remark, we see that Paul wasn't just a man with a towering intellect that made him aloof and detached from people, nor was he consumed with church programs and projects. People mattered to the Apostle Paul because Jesus had first place in Paul's life. And because Jesus had first place in Paul's life, people did too. Paul didn't just cast people off. Paul just didn't look for quick decisions. No, Paul wanted to be a part of the journey. Paul wanted to be involved in people's lives. He didn't just want decisions. He wanted to help disciple people and be in that formative process of people's lives where they were growing in their maturity and in their strength to follow Jesus. He never lost his love 
for new converts in Christ. This is what this one short line shows me. As I looked into it, as I prayed over it, as I studied it, initially I thought, well, there's not much to say here, but there's so much. By saying so little, this line says so much to us about the great Apostle Paul. Whilst we may know very little about Epinatius, what we do know is that Paul remembers him. Paul may not have been able to have seen Epinatius for several years because of his missionary work, and yet Paul had not forgotten this man. Paul had led him to Christ, and he was still alive in Paul's heart. Now Epinatius was doing well. He was in the church at Rome and growing, and Paul wants others to be around him. He doesn't want this man to be isolated. He doesn't want this man to be left alone. And something is triggered in Paul's heart as he's finishing this final chapter and closing his letter when he says, Greet Epinatius. He wants everyone to get around him, to look after their brother in Christ. There's always going to be people just like Epinatius around us, new believers, growing, stumbling, making all of their mistakes. And we, like Paul, need to be around them. We need to be a Paul to the Epinatius that's before us, to care for them, to look after them, to encourage them. Paul doesn't single out Epinatius for any great notable work of being faithful with his life like all of the others in this list. He just wanted him to know that he was still on his mind and still in his heart. And that's what's so important about this greeting because it reveals Paul's Deep love for new converts in Christ. New believers that need care and help. Let us never lose that love for those young converts that have just received Christ that are so zealous for the Word of God, so zealous to grow, so zealous to be amongst the family of believers. Let us never lose our love for new ones that receive Jesus into their hearts. Let's be like Paul. Let's look out. Let's live ready. Let's live ready to be a blessing and an encouragement to those who are on the same journey as us that need discipling, encouraging, and strengthening in the Lord. Throughout Paul's ministry, no doubt, he had seen tens of thousands, one to Christ. What an incredible man he was. What an incredible gift he was to this world. Tens of thousands of people. Imagine that. He'd seen tens of thousands of people, one to Christ, and yet he never lost his passion for the one. He never lost his passion for the Epinatiuses around him. 
who were wanting to follow Jesus and wanting to grow and mature in this life that they had received. And that's one of the greatest things that each and every one of us can do. That's how you can make your life count. It really is. You might not preach to tens of thousands of people, but that's okay. You can still make your life count by just reaching to the person to your left or the person to your right, to that friend or colleague in work, to that brother or sister in your connect group. You can still make your life count if you encourage them, strengthen them, be a blessing to them. This is what Christ has saved us for. One of the reasons why Christ has saved us, to make disciples, to be involved in the lives of others, to be in that formative process of their lives where they are changing and growing, full of questions, needing answers, just there on the road of life with them to support them and help them. You know, it's wonderful. We're not called to introduce people to programs. Nothing wrong with that. Everything helps. But you know, discipleship is bigger than a program, isn't it? It's just calling that person, being there for them, on their, with them in their journey. For the next however long that might be, but you're committed. You're willing to be there for them. That's what it is. That's what it's about. That's what we're called to do, and that is how each and every one of the, uh, our lives can count and matter as we lay them down for others. This is how Paul lived with others in his heart and on his mind, and this is how each one of us are called to live too. You know, it's been a joy over the years to see four of my children come into this world, to be involved in that growing and development process within their lives. And I remember, you know, as many of you will also remember as parents, the moment when each one of them came into this world. You realize quickly that they need your complete attention. They need your full support. They need all of your investment in their little lives to sustain it, to make it healthy, to make it strong for it to grow. And not only your involvement as a parent, as a mom, and as a dad, they need a whole host of other people around them, all bringing their strengths, all bringing their investments, all bringing their inputs into their lives so that they can grow through the ages and the stages that they go through. No little baby, no child, no young person can just be left to their own devices to fend for themselves. That would be disastrous. They need the input, the involvement, and the investment of everyone around them in those formative years to make them strong, 
to help them grow. They need support. They need encouragement in order to grow and mature. And it's no different with our lives. We need each other. We need that word of encouragement. We need that greeting. We need that practical support at times. It's no different. We are a body and every member is supporting the other member with its strength and with its life. If you look back on your life, you'll be amazed to see all of the different people that have been there at various times that God has used, who at different stages in your life have brought investment and blessing, correction, discipline, and it's all to serve that greater purpose of you growing, of you maturing, of you being the person that you are today. You've needed that support. You've needed that investment. You've needed others to come alongside you and to be that Paul figure in your life. We've all been like Epinacious, in need of a greeting, in need of the care of the many around us. And now, maybe, as we've grown strong through the years, we can be like a Paul to the Epinaceuses around us to bring growth, to bring strength, and to bring life. Let's look out. Let's live ready to be a blessing. Let's live ready to be generous with our lives and to invest in others. Greet Epinacious, my beloved, my first convert in Asia, was Paul's way of saying to the church at Rome, hey, listen, I want you all to get around this guy I want you to invest in him. He hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't been fruitful just yet because he's still growing. He's still learning. He's still in the formative years of his life as a follower of Christ. But I want you all to get around him. And I want you to encourage him, make him strong, and make him grow. I believe that we want to be a church like that. I believe in your heart you want to be a person just like that, to make your life count as it's a blessing to others around you. That's Epinacious, a beloved in the Lord. The next person that Paul honors is another lady called Mary. Isn't that great to see, ladies? Another lady on the list. So out of the first five names listed by Paul in this chapter, three of them are women. That's encouraging and important to see. And we could call Mary, who Paul is singling out here, a tireless woman. Verse 6, Paul says, Greet Mary, who has worked hard 
for you. That's what Paul says. This lady had worked hard for them, worked hard for the church in Rome. And Paul wants everyone to get around her, just like he wanted them to get around Epinatius and encourage her because of her work. And it had not gone unnoticed. Mary had lived to serve. And this great work that she had undertaken consistently over many years, the hard work that she had been involved in, Paul would not overlook. And it certainly wasn't being treated lightly here. What an incredible thing to have said about you. Just think about that. What an incredible reputation to have. What a, what a great commendation from such a great man. He doesn't call her a great apostle, a great prophetess, a great pastor, evangelist, or teacher. He calls her a hard worker. What a great commendation. What a great title to be known as a hard worker. And this is how Paul honors her. You know, you can't hide hard work. You see it. And it is such an honor for Faye and I to pastor a church of hard workers. And I don't say that lightly. Hard workers. This is a hard-working church that have people in it that lay their lives down tirelessly for Jesus, ready to serve, ready to do what's required. Not because you're obeying orders, but because you love Jesus Christ. And you want to you make your life count as you lay it down for Him. We have a, a church full of hard-working people. We may not be the most gifted we may not be known as a, as, a, as a church of, you know, great power. But I'm telling you something now. When I look around this church, I see hard workers. And it's wonderful. It really is to have a company of people that have put their shoulder to the plow and plow come what may matters not what the weather is. It matters not what seasons we go through. They have put their shoulder to the plow and they are going to plow that field and they are going to work hard. What a joy it is. And we encourage one another by the examples that we set in the hard work that we do. This word worked that Paul used means, listen, it means to labor to the point of exhaustion. It means to give until you have nothing left to give. Mary wasn't looking for an easy ride. She wasn't looking for a ministry in the church that didn't require her full commitment. This woman worked to the point of weariness. 
And it's not that she just worked. Notice what Paul says. Paul adds another little word, hard. She worked hard, he says, which means that she gave her life completely to any and every task set before her. She greatly worked. And the thought is of constant and consistent work, being engaged, being engaged habitually in your work and in your service. And this is the picture of just these two words that characterize the spirit of this woman as she laid her life down for Christ and as she gave it for all of those believers in that glorious church in Rome. She had an earnest, an energy, and an undying zeal about her to undertake the work of God. A precious woman pouring out her life to serve others. This woman, Mary, that Paul honors, wasn't a taker, she was a giver. She wasn't a spectator, she was a servant. Mary, I believe, fulfilled the words of Jesus when he said in Mark 10, 43 to 45, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. These are easy words to read. But it takes hard work, even to the point of exhaustion, to fulfill them. And this was the great commendation that was put against this lady's life. Mary was a servant, and just like Jesus, she did not want to be served. She just found fulfillment and great joy in serving others like he did. Her life was involved in strenuous work to build the church, to encourage people. I mean, I would just love to know what's behind those two words. She worked hard for you. I mean, I'd love to know all of these very duties that this lady was involved in, but I'm telling you now, there was sweat on her brow and her sleeves were rolled up, and wherever there was work to do, this lady would be there. And it's an example for us to see. It's an example for us to be encouraged by. What encourages me is that all of us here have many, many things to undertake in our lives. We have busy lives. We have, we have needs within our families. And yet, even in the midst of life, we still set our hearts on serving God, his church, and one another. That's encouraging. It really is. If Paul was to send a letter to our church, I believe, honestly, 
I don't say this to flatter anybody, but I believe that he would be able to single out many of us who have worked hard for others. Been a blessing. Given your life. Given your strength. Given your time to build others up. May it be said of each and every one of us as we go forward as a church into our future. May it be said of every single one of us that we worked hard. We worked hard. Yes, that we could prophesy. Yes, that we could use our gifts to teach and to preach. Yes, that we could operate in the gifts of the Spirit, but let it also be said that we worked hard for the church, for Christ, and for His kingdom. Just like this tireless lady, Mary, Romans 16, is a list of people who are working hard, working hard, for Christ. Verse 1, Paul starts out when he commends Phoebe as a servant of the church, a helper of many in her world, and a helper of Paul himself. Then in verse 3, Paul adds, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Then in verse 9, he says, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker. In Christ. Then down in verse 12, he continues, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. These were people that made their lives count for Christ by working hard, by serving Christ and his church and the extension of his kingdom in the world in which they lived. They made their lives count for Christ. Today you may be wondering, well, how can I get plugged into church? Many, many of you here already, you're in, rooted down. And now, look, I don't want to keep referring to this, but the last... The last few years have been difficult. The last few years has radically changed our, our routine as we know it. And, and many of us are still trying to get back to order within our routine and knowing what we can do. Lots of things look new, but let's never, let's never lose that priority that we held for serving Him laying our lives down for Christ. That remains, doesn't it? Irrespective of what happens, irrespective of the changes that we go through, that doesn't change our, our loyalty to Jesus, our love for His church, and our determination and zeal to labor in it and build it for Him and with Him. You may be wondering, how? How can I get involved? Well, on your seat, if you didn't notice, under your rusty dusty, there's a little, a little card. I believe it says on the front of it, do something great. Do something great. 
You can do something great with your life. Hey, listen, I know we've got a lot of responsibilities. I know life is fast. It really is. Oh, but man, I tell you, I want to give my life. I want to give my life and my time to Jesus. I want to be a hard worker in his kingdom. And whatever that means. Yeah, there's lots of things to do. There's lots of plates that have still got to spin. But you know what? As, as followers of Christ, we want to fix our eyes on him and do what he's called us to do. Whether it's a small task, it matters not. It matters not. Even a cup of water given in his name brings great reward. So whether it, it could be a big thing that God has called you for, we'll celebrate that with you and thank God for it. Or it could be something small. But in the eyes of God, it's not small because it's given. It's given by Him. There's that card on your seat. And there's, there's a number of things that we have as a local church that we're in constant need of. Constant need of hard workers. Constant need of people that are just going to be there on the journey for the rest of the journey, irrespective of what happens. Take a look at that card. Pray over it and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to commit, make that decision. If you're not already plugged in, if you're not already committed to something, listen, plug in here. Put your roots down. David put it like this. He said that when we're planted in the house of God, our lives flourish in the courts of God. We plant our lives down. When we root our time and our, our very life core into the things of God, do you know what? Our lives flourish. And over the last past years, that area may have taken a hit in your life. Well, the Holy Spirit is going to take it up again with you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to strengthen you. And before you know it, you're going to be back doing everything that God's called you to do. And you're going to find fulfillment. You're going to find fruitfulness. And you're going to find a flourishing in your life. You really are. I believe that. Take that up. Fill it in. If you want to hand it in, at the close of the service, you can. If you want to take it away and just, just pray over it. And also, we're going to send out a link on WhatsApp so that this message can just have a practical outlet for your life. You know, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me this morning, very simply, what I was going to do here was this. I was going to just cast some new seeds into, into hearts that need to be seeded this morning for new things in their future. And also, in another respect, I was going to come like, the, the word was going to come like water to refresh existing seeds that we already hold in our heart. And then God gives the increase. See, only God can give the increase. I can't bring the in increase. I can cast seed. I can water seed along with others around you, but I cannot bring increase in the seed, to the seed. God does that in your life, and he does that in my life too. Hard work, 
We're going to close in just a moment. Hard work is essential in church to be effective in order for us to be effective and for us to move forward. Hard work. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul again emphasizes this. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, always doing your best and doing more than is needed, being continually aware that your labor, even to the point of exhaustion in the Lord, is not futile nor wasted, nor is it is never without purpose. Your work will not be in vain. When your work, when my life's work, your life's work is focused to build the church, is focused to bless others, is focused to give God's glory, to give God glory, it will never be in vain. The Lord is watching. The Lord watches. He watches our lives, not condescendingly or coldly. He watches as a loving Father, wanting us all to reach our full potential and walk in His purpose for our lives. He wants all of our lives to make a difference. He wants our lives to count. And the way that our lives can count, one of the ways is through good old-fashioned hard work and a resolution, a resolution, an unchanging resolution to remain steadfast, like he says, steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. Not the work of man, the work of the Lord. Doing your best and even doing more than what is needed because you're not serving man, you're serving God. Whatever you do in word or deed, Paul said on another occasion, do all to glorify God. And it's with pleasure, it's with pleasure and great honor and privilege that we as God's family, as God's people, have the honor to work for Him. David Livingstone said this, a remarkable statement. He said, if the commission of an earthly king is considered to be an honor, how can the commission of a heavenly king be considered to be a sacrifice? We're not sacrificing our lives when we work for God. We are undertaking the greatest honor, the highest privilege and purpose for our lives. What an honor it is to serve Jesus. What an honor it is to build His church, to be chosen by Him, to be trusted by Him in His body, to be a part of it. Let's look at it with new eyes. We're not sacrificing our lives. We're not surrendering our lives. No, 
A great honor is being conferred upon us as God's family. A great honor is being conferred upon you as a child of the King. You and I want to give our lives fully and completely in this work, this great work of God. And I'm telling you, you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Give him an inch. Give the Holy Ghost an inch and you'll find he'll just take everything. And you'll gladly surrender it because suddenly you'll be living on his plane and not yours. It's glorious. It's wonderful. This is how the early church revolutionized their world. Holy Spirit life inside them. Let me finally read to you a poem written by C.T. Studd. And C.T. Studd was a, a cricketer as a young man. Very successful. He was educated in Eton. His father was very wealthy. And his father left him a great deal of wealth. <clears throat> in modern money, it would have equated now to tens of millions of pounds. So C.T. Studd as a young man had his future set up in this world, completely set up. I mean, you're talking Lamborghini lifestyle, Lamborghini lifestyle, multi-million, multi-millionaire. Everything set out before him until... One day, he runs into a pastor, preacher called Tedworth House. And Tedworth House had a conversation with C.T. Studd at the tea table. Not in any great crusade. Not out there looking for people and trying to get souls ticked off your list. Tedworth House looked this young man in the eye that had a great future in front of him, set up with a Lamborghini lifestyle. And he said, son, do you believe that Jesus Christ can give you eternal life? And that question shook this young man, shook him to the core. Because suddenly now, he had to contend with a question, not regarding this earthly life, but eternal life. Do you believe that Jesus Christ can give you eternal life? And in his own words, Stud, as a young man, said, Well, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. Well, that's a good start, but it, it's not good enough. It is not the gospel because Christ Jesus did not just die for us. He rose from the dead, hallelujah, and is seated in heavenly places. He is alive. He really is. And Claire was talking about waiting. And I was thinking about Jesus waiting. Hebrews tells us that he waits. He's been, I tell you, you talk about patience. It struck me this week. He's been waiting for 2,000 years for his his enemies to be made his footstool. I'm telling you something now. It may seem 
as if all of those enemies are running around this world and they are in control and they've got use of their power. I tell you, as you well know, every enemy will be fashioned and formed into a footstool. Remember that puffy you put your, you put your feet on? You're on your throne and then just we're all up there in heaven and he just puts his feet hallelujah on the footstool he's waiting he's waiting and every enemy every en not because i'm saying it i tell you now it's the written word of god unchanging through time and eternity every single enemy will be made fashioned into a footstool for our lord and savior jesus christ Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stud gets on his knees and he said, Lord, he prayed a very simple prayer. I believe that you died for me. And then he said this, I believe, Jesus, you can give me eternal life. <laughs> Woo! With that simple prayer, with that simple prayer, Stud receives peace that passes understanding. And he says this as he rises from his knees. Suddenly, the Bible that I read that was boring became alive to me and a joy for the rest of my life. What happened to Stud? Well, he became a missionary. He became a missionary. He became a very hard worker in the kingdom of God. Very hard worker. He became a missionary to China. Once his father had passed away, he inherited untold millions, it, it, tens of millions of pounds. Stud inherited. Well, he decided to give. Listen now. I mean... This is, this is wild. To give all of his inheritance away. A large portion went to D.L. Moody and his evangelistic pursuits throughout the world and crusades that he conducted. A large portion went to Moody. A large portion went to the Salvation Army. A large portion went to George Miller, Muller over in Bristol and his orphanages throughout the UK. He just... He just gave it all away. And he said, Lord, I'm trusting you to look after me. You're my inheritance. Now, we all, I'm not saying for any of us to do that. That's a level of faith on a different plane of life. But he kept a few thousand pounds. I mean, you wouldn't mind that, would you? He was about to get married. And he wanted to give his wife, who he was going to marry, I think it was to the sum of 2,000 pounds, because she was going to be the homemaker. She was going to look after them as they traveled throughout the world to China, then on to Africa. At their wedding day, his wife looked at him and she said, I think his name was Charles. Charles. I've decided to follow your example and give that money away as well. Because the Lord can do a better job 
than I can of looking after us. Hallelujah. What, what an example. What an example of faith. Let me read to you this final poem from this man who worked so hard with the life that he had. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then, in that day, my Lord will meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life. twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow. Thy word to keep faithful and true, whatever the strife pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice this morning. Lord, we've opened our hearts to receive your word. And your word has come like seed, so small in many ways easily trodden, underfoot, so small and seemingly insignificant, 
through my voice, and through my appeal. And yet you've planted seeds into each one of our hearts. Lord, I pray, as those seeds are watered, as you, as the caretaker of our soul, looks over them, protects them, and sees them germinate, I pray that you would bring the increase in all of our lives. That our lives would be fruitful, our lives would be fulfilled, our lives would flourish in the courts of the Lord. And it would be said of each and every one of us to varying degrees that we have worked hard for you and served one another, your church, and the world in which we live. I thank you for each and every one of your people today. May there be peace in this place. May there be joy in our hearts. And when that day finally comes, where we stand before you, the only commendation that we want to hear from your lips, Lord, is well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.